Will you go to Matthew chapter 18, please? That's where we're going to look at today. We're going to study today. Um, some of you know who I am. Others do not. Um, for those of you who do know me, quick uh, update. We've been pretty busy. The last time we were here was a, a year ago. And uh, since that time, we've moved, running a house, which is nice because we need more room uh, for another reason, because we have my wife's pregnant again with, well, we got two for one this time. So we have two identical boys in there, uh, Joshua and Caleb, and they will be delivered, Lord willing, in, in a month. Um, and we switched over to the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, the OPC, um, the PCA's older but smaller sister denomination, and I became a licentiate there and and now an intern at Calvin Presbyterian Church in Phoenix. Um, So that's a quick update about me and our family. But enough about that. Let's look at the good stuff here. Matthew chapter 18, we're going to read verses 21 to 35. 21 to 35. Hear now the word of the Lord. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So then, or so the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went to put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Let's pray. Lord, we are so thankful for your word. We see in this text great encouragement, great comfort, but also a very sober warning towards the end. And Lord, we pray that you would use your word here to teach us, to reprove us, to correct us, and to train us in righteousness, Lord, that we might be equipped and, and complete, that we would be ready for every good work. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name for your glory 
and for our good. Amen. Right outside the classroom, waiting to come into seventh period, there was Josiah, and he was bothering Andrew. Josiah was taking his own belt and hitting Andrew in the face with it. Andrew got a little upset naturally and pushed him against the gate. Before the pushing could go to blows, a teacher powerfully intervened. Harry was minding his own business in the living room, just stacking and shaping his Legos into an all-glorious skyscraper, when all of a sudden his younger sister, Lily, came up to his creation and pummeled it down with her strong but small little hands. About ten years ago into the marriage, Shannon, who was a believer, entered into an emotional affair with this guy at work. And this affair turned physical. This went on for a few months, but Shannon was, by God's grace, eventually convicted by the Holy Spirit. She confessed her sin to God, to her husband, and she broke off all communication with her colleague, even quitting her job. And she sought reconciliation with her husband, Lance. In each of these vignettes, there is a need, a very important need, and it is the need of forgiveness. Josiah needs to seek forgiveness from Andrew for hitting him in the face with his belt. And Lily needs to go to her brother and ask for forgiveness for breaking down his all-glorious skyscraper. And, of course, Shannon needs to ask for and receive forgiveness from her husband, Lance, because of her adultery. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're looking at forgiveness. This is no doubt one of the most important topics and texts uh, that we could even talk about. Forgiveness. Because where there is sin, there should be forgiveness. It doesn't matter in any relationship you have you are going to find that you are a sinner and that that person with whom you relate is a sinner. You're going to sin against somebody. You're going to be sinned against. And so there will always be, this side of heaven, a need for forgiveness. Except for, of course, Christ sinning against you, which would never happen. But every other relationship, there needs to be forgiveness. And so in Matthew 18... We look, we're going to look here at four, uh, four important truths that I think we should consider. And they all begin with R, and you have them in your notes. Recognize our reluctance to forgive. Number two is record keeping is wrong. Three, remember our forgiveness from the king. And four, retain a healthy fear of God. And so let's look at the first one here recognize our own reluctance to forgive. We see this in verse 21 with Peter's question. Peter came up and said to Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. It's always helpful to see why Jesus uh, gives a parable, as he will in just a couple of verses, and what prompts that parable. And... There's a context in which Peter asked this question, how many times? And that's 
just the previous context, which we haven't read. That's the context of church discipline, what to do if your brother sins against you. Just to summarize that uh, situation, that teaching from Jesus, if your brother sins against you, you need to go to him and confront him. Say, this is what you've done. What do you have to say? And if your brother repents, praise the Lord, you have gained your brother. But sadly, if he doesn't repent, then you need to bring in a couple others, a few other trustworthy witnesses who can come alongside you to confront this man in sin. And of course, this is an assumed case of sin. There isn't, this isn't just something that you um, were annoyed by, but a true case of sin. And if he does listen, praise the Lord, you've gained your brother. If not, then you need to bring it to the church and have the elders uh, confront the man. And if he listens, praise the Lord, you've gained your brother. If not, sadly, then you need to kick him out for the purpose of restoring him. So that's the teaching from Jesus in a nutshell, and it's in that context that Peter says, okay, uh, how many times, Lord, do I need to forgive my brother if he sins against me? And it seems like a reasonable question. seems like a fairly legitimate question. How many times should we forgive somebody? certainly the Lord doesn't want us to be doormats, right? Certainly the Lord doesn't want us to be taken advantage of by our brothers and sisters, right? Surely there is an end to forgiveness, and surely that end is seven times, right? And at this point, Peter is probably thinking he's doing really well with his answer. As many as seven times, Lord, seven times. Because, of course, you, see, you look at the number seven in the Bible and you see it has to do with a wholeness, a perfection, a, a completion. Peter is a, the, the perfect example of forgiving, right? Seven times. In the early teaching of the rabbis in, in, in these days, they said that three times was sufficient. Somebody came to you, sinned against you, asked for forgiveness, you, you should forgive them. Three times, up to three times. But after the third time, you can't be expected to forgive. They're just taking advantage of you. And so Peter, he goes beyond that three. He doubles it, and he doesn't stick it. He doesn't stay at six. He even adds one more. Seven. What an answer. Seven times. As many as seven times, Lord. Pretty good response, right? Before we read Jesus' answer, we need to recognize that Peter's question comes from a heart attitude that sees a limit to forgiveness, that caps out forgiveness. Even if Peter is offering this voluntary, over-the-top, really super abundantly gracious forgiveness, he still caps it out at seven. Likewise, in our case, we are too often quick to withhold sins committed against us. We are uh, too often very easily putting a limit on forgiveness because, again, God doesn't want us to be taken advantage of. There should be a limit. Surely, if our personal offender has sinned against us seven times in a day, he's not really sorry, right? Think about our own children. 
It's just the kids who, who sin against you the same thing over and over again today, right? We spouses don't, don't do that to one another. We don't yell at each other angrily, sinfully, more than once in a day. Or we're not impatient with one another or with our own children more than once in a day, right? It's just our kids. Of course it's not. Of course I'm being sarcastic here. We all sin against each other often, the same time, in the same day. Sometimes even just moments later. And it might be the case that we're not truly sorry. In other cases, we are, and it's just a struggle, and it's hard to to beat that sin. And so we need constant reminders of our forgiveness, and we need to go to the person that we've offended and ask for forgiveness. Because of remaining sin in our hearts, we struggle with freely offering forgiveness. We struggle, like Peter here did, with capping it out, with putting a limit to it. And so a very important and basic step in learning to forgive is recognizing that we have to learn to forgive. It doesn't come naturally to us. We don't come out of our mom's wombs with this desire to cancel all sin debts against us. Oh, mom, you forgot to feed me that day? No problem. I can forgive you of your parental neglect. No biggie. We don't, it doesn't come naturally to us. We have to learn it. We have to be constantly thrown in situation after situation of sin that needs to be addressed, that needs to be forgiven. We need to fight the old nature, the old man that says, don't forgive, hold on to that. We need to abide in Christ and be walking in concert with our new nature. Desire that with a new nature that desires to forgive. So as we enter into any relationship and just live in our day-to-day relations with one another, we need to have this posture, this attitude of forgiving one another, this desire to forgive, this passion to forgive, this zeal even to forgive. Do you have a zeal? to grant forgiveness to those who sin against you. And the second point, then, is is tied with the first, that record-keeping is wrong. Jesus doesn't commend Peter. He doesn't say, oh, Peter, you did it. You have bested even the rabbis of your day. Not only did you go to three, you doubled it and added one. You are so much better than those rabbis. You got it, Peter. He doesn't commend Peter. And Peter's probably stunned at this point, not knowing where he has gone wrong. Perhaps we are too. If we think that Peter's answer was one full of grace and mercy. But the error in Peter's thinking and in ours is that we can put a limit to forgiveness. One of my counseling friends was counseling this woman years ago, and she had some trust and forgiveness issues. In one of the counting sessions, this woman had taken great pride in withholding forgiveness from all those who offended her. And over the years, she uh, wrote in this notebook all of the grievances, all of the sins, the offenses that people throughout the years committed against her. 
And the sadly ironic thing is she put that notebook in her Bible. She kept it with her. She kept it with her wherever she went. That's a true story, and that's sad. And the first homework assignment that my counseling friend gave her was to go home and to burn that list. Jesus' reply to Peter then is found in verse 22. I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Or some translations say uh, 70 times seven. 77 times. And in these two verses, 21 and 22, this exchange between Peter and Jesus, there are strong allusions to Genesis chapter 4 with Cain and Abel, and then later on with Lamech. Cain, you might recall, he sinned against his brother Abel. He murdered him, and the Lord punished him. And Cain thought this punishment was going to be too hard for him to bear, too weighty. So God put a mark, and he said that if anyone were to kill Cain, that God would avenge Cain sevenfold. Well, later on in that chapter, Lamech, the, the bad Lamech in the Bible, the polygamous Lamech in the Bible, he kills his brother. Notice the connection between your brother sins against you in Matthew 18, and then here Cain killing Abel and Lamech killing his brother. After he murders his brother, he boasts, he says, if Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. Seventy times seven. These stories are in the background of our text this morning when Jesus says, I don't say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. So did Jesus then resort to record-keeping? He just didn't think Peter went far enough? He says, okay, Peter, seven times is not good enough. You've got to go to 490 And after the 490th time, then you can withhold the forgiveness. Certainly not. This is hyperbole. This is an exaggeration for an effect. He's saying, don't put a limit on forgiveness. Don't cap it out, Peter. You need to be as extravagant in your forgiveness as Lamech was in his desire for vengeance upon himself if anybody were to kill him. That's the kind of attitude we are to have. There's no limit to forgiveness. There's no record keep. There's no sin tallies. There's no using up all of our forgiveness. Well, you've used it all up for the day. There's none of that. And when we're slow to speak, very quick to uh, very quick to speak, very quick to wrath, very quick to anger, sometimes we're often heaping on another person those sins that apparently we we, we thought we had forgiven them of. We, we turn out, turns out we didn't. Maybe somebody does something. Maybe there's a, a lie in the household. And then you bring back something from a couple of years ago. You lied to me back then. Well, I thought you forgave me of that. We find out we probably didn't forgive them to begin with when we keep that upon another person. And I see this in counseling a lot. I hear this often. I can't be expected to keep forgiving him. When is enough enough? Or you don't know what she did to me. That sin, that one is for the books. I'm holding on to that one. I'm adding that to my mental list or even 
physical list in the case of that one woman. And that's the attitude that Jesus is speaking against in uh, verses 23 to 33 when he tells of this parable. So to help us to have that posture of forgiveness, that attitude uh, for forgiveness, to help us avoid record-keeping, we need to remember our forgiveness from the king. So he tells this parable. There's this king who wants to settle accounts with his servants, and one servant owes him 10,000 talents. We don't know how this one servant came to owe the king so many talents. Uh, Perhaps he was in charge of this money uh, investment, and he poorly invested, and he's financially responsible, responsible. We don't know. But a talent back then was the equivalent of 6,000 denarii. One denarius was one day's wage. So one talent was equivalent to 6,000 days worth of work. And if you worked your whole life, you would likely have received a total of about a half a talent, not even a whole talent for a lifetime's worth of work. And the term, the number 10,000 in the Greek language back then was the highest number that you could get. So 10,000 talents is 60 million denarii, which is about 200,000 years worth of money. About $8 billion today, or as one commentator says, zillions. (laughs) It's a lot. Jesus is making a point here. Obviously, the servant couldn't pay this 10,000-talent debt. He's not Bill Gates, Mark Zuckerberg. He's not one of those guys. So he and his family are ordered to go to prison to be sold later, which still wouldn't be able to pay off the entire debt because even the price of a slave caps out at about 2,000 denarii. So even if this guy's got a really extended family all in prison, they're not going to even scratch the surface of this, this massive debt. So listen to his begging words at verse 26. The servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. All he could do was beg. All he could do was fall at the king's feet and say, Have patience with me. Of course, when he says that if given enough time, he's going to repay him, certainly that's unrealistic. It's not possible for him. He's, he has amassed too weighty a debt. And as this parable is being told, as the first century audience is hearing it, as we're reading it, we don't expect what comes next. The king, it says, and out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. Out of pity, out of compassion, out of Mercy, out of this unmerited grace, he releases him of this debt, forgives him of the entire thing, and not a penny had to be repaid. And again, if you're reading this, if you're first century audience, if you, if you get this parable, then you are shocked at this point. You say, what? What is going on here, king? Absolutely not. What a bold move. Don't you know what's going to happen if you release him of this debt? Other people 
in the kingdom are going to think that they can take advantage of you as well. If they don't have a 10,000-talent debt, well, you forgave them of that. You could forgive me of this small debt, right? This is bad for business, king. What an absolute scandal. And Jesus wants us to see what love, what grace, what forgiveness. And that's the forgiveness that the children of God receive from the king, from the father. Our 10,000 talents of sin debt that we could never repay. Even if given 2,000 or 200,000 years of working it off, we could never repay it because we would then be still amassing continuous debt with all of our sin. Out of compassion, the Lord has forgiven us. Not only are we utterly amazed and surprised at what the king does here, but even perhaps more shocking is the slave's immediate course of action. And the imagery in this parable is he's just coming out of the king's palace. Verse 28 says, but when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. You see, immediately this guy has no desire to pay it forward, so to speak. He has no, there's no inkling of gratitude for what he has just been given. He doesn't want to duplicate what he has just been given. And his fellow servant owes him a hundred denarii. This is a few months' debt, which is a real debt. If somebody owed you a few thousand dollars, you'd probably want that back. If it was not, if it was a loan, anyway, it's not a gift. You'd probably want that back. And this guy could certainly have repaid it. We see that he does the same thing. The second servant does the same thing as the first servant did. Verse 29, he fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. Yeah, he could do that. Probably get that paid off in a year. Put him on some payment plan. The guy says no. He's choking him, pay what you owe. And the other servants seeing this, and I think they represent the, the local church, seeing their um, brother and sister um, respond to sin. They see and they tell the king, and we see in verse 32, the, sum, the, the master summoned him, summoned the first servant, said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me, and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? The master could have insisted on the first slave's repayment. He was fully within his rights, but he, out of pity, released him of that whole debt. And so the king is expecting this servant to release other people of their debts. Does this first servant get the message? No. The king expects him to be merciful as he has received mercy. Verse Chapter 5, verse 7, one of the Beatitudes, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. 
He didn't get the lesson. Hopefully we do, by God's grace. The final point here is retain a healthy fear of God. Jesus ends this teaching on forgiveness with a very sober warning. Perhaps in your flesh you would prefer that verse 34 and verse 35 not be there. And in anger his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart no longer being moved by compassion or mercy or pity. The king is moved by his just anger, his holy wrath against his first servant. So if the first slave is going to insist on his rights with that second slave, the king is going to insist on his rights with the first slave. And so he he withdraws this debt forgiveness. He takes it back. And the servant is thrown into prison to be tortured. The term there says delivered him to the jailers literally means delivered him to the torturers. Not just to be sold, but to be tortured. And I think we have here in this case then the first servant is is actually someone who professed to be a believer but isn't. I think that for a couple reasons. One, the king calls him a wicked servant. Two, he's delivered to the torturers, indicative of eternal punishment. And three, what we know from other scripture passages is that those who have been truly forgiven do forgive. In their new nature, they forgive when confronted with some very serious sin and and need to forgive, they do. And so Jesus says, "If this is what my Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. This isn't just a forgiveness out of duty or out of fear. Well, I don't want to go to hell, so I guess I'll forgive you. Or, well, Lord tells, tells me I should forgive, so I'll forgive you. No, we... We have a heart of forgiveness. The first slave didn't have a heart attitude to forgive. He didn't recognize really what it means to be forgiven and then to forgive. Jesus, in in, um, what we just read a little bit ago, Matthew 6, right after the Lord's prayer, he says, if we forgive, we will be forgiven. But if we don't, we won't. James, picking up on this, says judgment is without mercy. So there's there's no mercy. There's just judgment to the one who has shown no mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy, but cursed are the judgmental, for they shall receive judgment. Well, this might confuse us if we are trying to think about this in light of everything else that Scripture speaks about. Does the Bible then promote this idea that we are saved by our forgiving people? That is to say, our own forgiveness depends on our forgiving. Is God going to look at us and say, well, you don't forgive people, so I'm not forgiving you? Well, in one sense, yes. But Jesus is not teaching here that 
we are saved by our forgiving. Because after all, that would be some kind of salvation by works, wouldn't it? Moreover, forgiving people is a work of the Holy Spirit. It's a work of grace in the person's heart. And only those who are truly children of God can truly forgive as Christ would have them forgive. This is, however, this text is to... Well, one other thing, rather. We're all going to die with not forgiving people of things. Perhaps somebody has sinned against you and and they've died and you didn't offer them forgiveness. Maybe you want to but couldn't. Maybe you don't have any access to the, the person. We're all going to die with not forgiving people of various sins committed against us. But the question is, do we have that heart attitude? And do we seek to forgive others when the occasions arise? When we can. These last two verses of the chapter are meant to help us to examine our hearts. Do we have that desire, that zeal to forgive? Do we recognize our own being forgiven by God? Or is God's forgiveness a license to to sin? Is his debt release permission for us to insist on holding back forgiveness? So the proper attitude is what we saw in Joseph, in the Old Testament reading. Joseph said, am I, in the, am I in the place of God? Of course I'm going to forgive you, brothers. In fact, God used this whole sin, well, a lot of sins regarding this whole situation of you selling me into slavery and all that. God is using this for our good. So I'm not going to hold this over you. I'm going to forgive you. Because I am not, I'm not more forgiving than, uh, than God. If God will forgive, I can forgive. How can we, the attitude that we should have is, how can we not forgive you? How can I not forgive you of these things that you've committed against me? Your sin against me is a hundred denarii of sin debt. It's a real sin. And it needs to be addressed, not ignored, but it needs to be forgiven. But my sin against my God is 10,000 talents worth, something I could never pay back. How can I hold this over your head? How can I withhold forgiveness from you? I can't do that. That's the attitude of someone who recognizes that he has been forgiven. I have uh, some... When I was a kid, I had this family or friends of a family. They had dogs, and they were trying to train their dogs. And one time, one of the dogs sadly peed on the floor. And this is I'm, if you do this, I'm not criticizing you for doing it because dogs are different from humans. But a family member or friend came up to the dog and rubbed the dog's nose in the pee. said, no, don't do that bad dog. Maybe that's right for proper canine management. I don't know. 
I heard it's pretty good. I heard it's helpful. That's not what God does to us with our sin. He doesn't say, remember that time you sinned against me? I'm still holding that over you. I haven't forgotten that. God doesn't do that to us. He casts our sin away from him as far as the east is to the west. He remembers it no more. Not that he becomes ignorant of it, but he chooses not to put it in front of us and hold that over us and to um, say that we're still guilty for it. He releases us of our sin debts. That's not the way the world would have us handle conflict. They say, once a cheater, always a cheater. Once a liar, always a liar. Once a gossip, always a gossip. Once an angry man, always an angry man. And perhaps you'd say something similar. You might say, Michael, you just don't know what I've been through. You don't know for how long I've been through it either. And that's true, I don't. But let me ask you this. Do you know the extent of your sin against God? Do you know the frequency of your sin against God? The gravity of your sin against God? Because I submit to you, if you do, you wouldn't ask that question. You wouldn't object. Tim Challies in his article, Our Forgetful God, says, The very things I can't forget are the very things God won't remember. Which is a reminder again for us that we need to grow in forgiving people. We need to learn it. It doesn't come naturally. This forgiveness is meant to be duplicated. Those who have been mercied, we give mercy. It's meant to be passed on to those in need, to those who have recognized their sin, confessed their sin, and say, please forgive me. I'm sorry for what I have done. I know that I have offended you. Will you forgive me? Your answer should be, yes. As Christ has forgiven me, I forgive you. I won't hold this over you. This is the heart of the gospel. This is the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is love. And 1 Peter 4, 8 says, Love covers a multitude of sins. The wise man covers many transgressions, the proverb says. This is, this is at the base of the gospel. Christ has forgiven you. Past, present, future sins. All those sins that other people don't know about. All those sins that have amassed over your whole existence in thought, word, and deed. Every last one of them has been paid for by Christ on the cross. How can we not then forgive? Because of Christ's compassion and forgiveness, Andrew can forgive Josiah for hitting him in the the face with his belt. Lily can ask for forgiveness, and Harry can forgive Lily. And they could come together and work out and perhaps even build an even more all-glorious skyscraper out of Legos. 
Shannon can ask for forgiveness and Lance can, can forgive. Can forgive her. And they can work together to restore that marriage. Forgiveness is possible, but it's only possible with Jesus Christ and the gospel. And as we forgive others, we are painting a picture that this is what our God does. This is how beautiful our God is. This is how glorious our God is. He is a just God. He recognizes sin, and He addresses it, forgives it, and He's paid for that sin by the spotless spotless blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.